You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Happy New Year. How's everybody? Good. Praise God. Uh, today we're going to start a, a, a well, t- today I want to talk about 2020 in general. It's sort of a, a banner series. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about this later on, but next week we're going to launch a new series for the year. But uh, today I want to talk about just sort of what the Lord's placed on my heart in regards to Hope Assembly in 2020. And I promise you we're not going to talk about 2020 vision um, because 2010 vision is better than 2020 vision. So we want to talk about great vision. We need to go back to 2010. Just kidding. Um, a, lot, a lot of people will be doing that today. But uh, I do want to talk about sort of the bigger idea. And, you know, this is kind of what happens in a new year, right? The first Sunday of a new year, the first Sunday of a new decade even, um, People, you probably have done this. We, we start the year off with New Year resolutions, right? Right? Anybody? Jim's got some. Can get better at his golf game. Uh, we, live, we live in a society that's obsessed, really, with transformations, with New Year's resolutions, right? Um, we have entire sections in the bookstore. I was just in uh, the Amazon bookstore the other day. I love to hang out in Barnes Noble. I love to look at book titles. By the way, I judge most books by their cover. I mean, I just do. Um, if you don't know how to put together a good cover, then you don't deserve me my money. Um, so, anyways, but there are entire sections in bookstores that are dedicated to the whole idea of self-help. Right? Anybody ever spend any time there? I have. Uh, we love to watch reality TV shows that transform people's health, or transform people's vehicles. We used to at least pimp my ride. Uh, that transform people's homes, that transform people's uh, businesses, garages, even pets. Like my dog is horrible. Can you help me? It literally shows about a guy who whispers to dogs. We love transformation stories. It's sort of something that is in us. It's our it's our culture. And we get the idea, we love a good transformation story. And every year, bookstores are flooded. Every year, gyms are swamped. Hardware stores are filled with people venturing out into their own hopeful transformation story. Has anybody done that yet? Right? Like Saturday, we're at the gym. Is the first Saturday at the gym. You know, it's sort of an, uh, uh, there's only two classes on Saturday. So the, just a billion people. Praise God. A billion people at the gym on Saturday. Why? New Year, people are trying to step into a new life. They want to transform something, transform their health, transform, you know, their inner, whatever it is, they're, they're working towards a transformational process. And here's the deal. Every year, it usually starts with some uh, motivation and excitement, and then it just sort of wanes, you know, in weeks, and if we're being honest, usually hours. <laughs> Like, you made the first gym session, and then you're out. Like, you can't move afterwards. And like, okay, that was good for the year. I did it. I'm out now. So, uh, but even if we do experience unprecedented, you know, uh, uh, success in those transformation stories, right? A lot of people, what happens is that I'm going to do the, I'm going to renovate my entire house. I've seen it do it on TV. They did it in, in literally 60 minutes. I'm sure I can do it maybe in a week. And, and then it's... It, uh, a horrible failure. You're like, oh, what have I done? And call somebody professional, come and fix it, right? Even if we fail or have successes, and I hope you do have successes in your transformation stories. I hope everybody is working towards, I mean, I've set up some things for my own self. 
um, our, in our gym, we're doing a 21-day challenge. It starts tomorrow. I think those things are wonderful. They help you sort of set into a new way of, of thinking, a new way of life, right? And so uh, I hope you're successful in those New Year's resolutions. But even if you're not successful, even if you're struggling, even if we're struggling or if we're successful, either way, we tend to get to the end of that resolution or that goal. I'm going to lose 50 pounds or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to read 52 books in the year or whatever it looks like. And you're like, oh, I did it. It tends to leave you a little bit empty. Because the reality is when we set out for these things, oftentimes what we do is we set sort of surface goals that even when we meet them, they leave us, uh, they, 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 they leave us wanting for more. Like it's just not enough. Like we tend to get these goals, uh, we tend to pursue these sort of transformations from outward external ideas. Like we've been watching TV or we've been on social media and we've seen what other people are doing. Like, well, that's great. I'd like to do that as well. And, and the problem is if we just focus on these externals, then we're going to end up at the end of the year or the end of whatever that goal was met or not met, feeling a little bit empty, feeling a little bit like, well, that didn't really fulfill me the way I hoped it would have. And so what do we do? I mean, Matthew, Jesus talks about this in Matthew when he said, what will it profit a man, Matthew 16, 26, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or he says, what shall a man give in return for his soul? I've been just sort of thinking about that in regards to the year, in regards to what does God want to do in 2020. And really, there's a deep formational thing that I think God wants to do in us, in our souls. If people are willing to, to make all of these sacrifices for external things, willing to sell out on all kinds of things that they love and enjoy to try to attain some sort of goal, well, what good is it to gain those things, to have successes in all of those externals at the expense of what's really happening on the inside? Does that make sense? It's not to say that chasing after some external goal is bad or wrong. It's not. It only becomes a problem if I chase after those things and neglect in the process or sell out in the process the health of my soul. Amen. Oftentimes, these pursuits of transformation are motivated by externals, what we see in other people's lives, their Instagram highlight reel. And if we're not careful, we'll neglect the most important transformation, and that's the transformation of the soul or the spirit, the inner man, the inner spiritual person. And so here at, 20, at Hope Assembly in 2020, I really believe that God wants us to be a year of intentional spiritual formation. And I'm going to talk about what that means, spiritual formation today. But we're literally going to launch into a year of working through series after series after series that deal specifically with, with practices on how to allow the Spirit of God to form us and shape us spiritually. Amen? Um, so this intentional spiritual formation, we want to help encourage you toward a life of practices that form your soul in the way of Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. Yeah, me too. But here's the thing, it doesn't just happen. Even if you were to come to all 51 weeks this year, uh, give or take, 
right? We usually have 51 scheduled. If we get snow, who knows, it might be less. But even if you went to all 51 services, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's something being formed in your soul. You can be a church attender and not really allow the Spirit of God to shape you, spiritually speaking, to form you in your inner man. Matter of fact, I mean, the Pharisees are, are, are quite the example of people who were spiritual, who did a lot of engagement in spiritual things, but even when the Messiah showed up, they rejected the new way of the kingdom of God. When Jesus said to them, repent, which means to change the way you're living, change the way you're thinking, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, instead of repenting, they resisted the actual Messiah that they had longed for. And we can be the same way. We can come to church every day. We can go to church every single week. We can, we can even read our Bible every day and miss the Messiah and not really be intentionally formed, spiritually speaking. Amen? So I want to ask you these questions. What would 365 days, or 360 now since we're on the fifth day of January, but 365 days of intentional spiritual formation look like for you? How would that impact your own soul? And, and if I'm being honest, like I don't know that I've ever set out on a new year to say that, you know what I really want to do this year? I want to really intentionally focus on spiritual formation. Practices that really shift my spirit man, my soul into the ways of Jesus. Sure, I start off my new year, I started a Bible reading plan again, it's another year of uh, going through the whole Bible in a year. If you haven't done that, version has a great couple of plans. You can read through it chronologically, you can read through it however, you, there's lots of opportunities. Sure, th those are good things, but you can just go through those motions. I mean, really setting your heart towards, no, this year, I want to allow the Spirit of God access to form me, to form, reshape my inner man in spiritual practice so I become more like Jesus. Dallas Willard said this, spiritual formation for the Christian basically refers to the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. This is sort of the banner of 2020 for Hope Assembly. Spiritual formation. How can we allow the Spirit of God open ourselves up to the process to intentionally invite the Spirit of God to shape us and mold us in the inner man that we might become more and more like Christ? It seems like that's just what we should do, right? I mean, isn't that what Christianity is about? Let's talk a little bit about that, right? Because there's this whole idea of being conformed versus transformed. Most of us probably know this scripture I'm going to read here, but whether we think so or not, we are all being formed in one way or another. I've talked about this before at the beginning of the year. Uh, every person is being shaped by something. Something is shaping and forming every single person. Nobody is exempt from being shaped or formed into some sort of image. It's happening whether you like it or not. Sometimes it's intentional. Oftentimes it's unintentional. 
in the scripture in Romans chapter 12. After Paul has gone through 11 chapters to the people, the church in Rome, and talking to them about all of this theology, this rich, like this is what the kingdom of God looks like. He gets to chapter 12. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer up your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, acceptable before him. This is your reasonable act of worship. And then verse 2, he says this, Do not be conformed to this world. Some versions will say to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul, after he spent 11 chapters dropping all kinds of wisdom and knowledge on the theology of the kingdom of God, he shifts in chapter 12 to say, now, let's put this into practice. I don't want you to be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. I want you to be transformed. So he draws this sort of juxtaposition between people who are conforming to the world and people who are allowing the spirit of God to transform their lives. The word conform means to fashion yourself according to, to behave in the manner of others. is oftentimes the result of social pressure. Oftentimes conforming is just all about unintentional formation. The more I hang out with these things, the more it just sort of forms me and shapes me. The, the places that I hang out, the things that I watch, the things that I read, the people that I engage with, whether I rel- realize it or not, if I'm not careful, I just start acting like them. I just start seeing it the way they see it. I just start engaging the way that they engage. Has anybody ever been there before? You hang out with a negative person long enough and eventually you start thinking and speaking negatively. Just sort of the natural flow of things. And then you're like, wait, why am I so negative today? Oh, that's right. I was hanging out with John. Is there a John in here? Am I safe? And John is always negative. And so I spent a whole day with John, and all of a sudden it's shifted the way. Oh, I didn't intend for that to happen, but I was being shaped by John. So he says, don't be conformed to this world. The word world or this world there means the spirit of the age. It's this idea of do not fashion yourself according to the spirit, the cultural norms around us. So I can spend all kinds of time scrolling social media, and that social media begins to shape my soul, whether I'm, in, whether I'm wanting it to do it or not. I found myself oftentimes looking through a Twitter feed and, and feeling just kind of, eh. Like, what is going on? And I realized, well, I spent the last 15 minutes or so just scrolling through just nonsense. News stories and, and difficult things that are happening, just sort of waiting down. I'm like, gosh, I just feel, what was happening? This news feed was forming me, whether I went to it and said, hey, I want to really be shaped by Twitter today. I didn't do that. I don't know that anybody does that. But it happens. What happens is that I begin to be conformed to, I begin to give way to the norms of the world, the cultural norms of the world. And all of a sudden, I'm sort of caught up in the things that they're caught up in. I start to feel maybe even sometimes hopeless by some of the news stories. But listen, we are Christians. We are believers. We should not feel hopeless. But if we allow the world to influence us that way, all of a sudden, we start to lose hope. You're catching 
what we're saying here. And Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be conformed to the patterns of this world, to the spirit of this age, to the norms of culture around you. Don't allow that to form and shape your inner man. Rather, be transformed. The word transformed means to change into another form altogether. I think in the Greek it's metamorpho, where we get the idea of metamorphosis from a, from a caterpillar to a butterfly, this this a total trance, this radical transformation. Like literally when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, it, it, it dissolves into, the, the old identity is completely wiped away and it's reshaped in that cocoon into a completely different image and identity. That's what this transform, it has that connotation to it, to change into another form altogether, to change greatly in nature, form, heart, character. It's intentional. What Paul is speaking about, be transformed. He's talking about intentional formation, intentional change that happens in the inner man. This is what we're believing God for in 2020, this intentional formation to the character and nature of Christ. He says, uh, be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. Your mind is the seat of your belief. Okay, he's not talking about your physical mind per se, he's talking about the seat of your belief system. And your belief system starts in your mind. And what happens in your mind, whatever you lock into on your mind as your beliefs, then transfers to the convictions of your heart. And whatever is the convictions of your heart drives the actions of your life. Y'all with me on that? I know that sounds very self-helpy, it's just, it is the truth. What I believe whether it be true or false, what I believe within my mind, the seat of my understanding, will then begin to drive the convictions of my heart. And whatever I'm convicted on the depths of my heart, the most inner emotional feelings that I have, is going to then move into how I interact with people, how I live my life. And so Paul says, if you want to be transformed then you have to renew your mind. You have to change the belief systems. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to reshape, reform the belief systems that you hold on to in your life. And that doesn't just happen. Amen? Over the years, I've been following Jesus now for almost 30 years, or more than 30 years. Gosh, I'm getting old. More than 30 years. Never one time, never one time have I radically allowed the Holy Spirit to change my heart, just unintentionally. Never one time have I woke up on a, uh, you know, a morning, Sunday, whatever morning, what's called Sunday, the most spiritual day of the week, right? Never have I woke up on Sunday morning and just like, ta-da, wow. Just like that. Unintentionally, I am completely different now. Never. It has always been a process where the Holy Spirit begins to challenge the belief system that I hold, how I view people, how I view God, how I view his kingdom, how I view my place within that kingdom, whatever it might be, that belief system, the, the Holy Spirit begins to challenge what I'm holding on to is truth. 
And I have to allow the Holy Spirit to challenge that. And I have to allow myself to begin to engage God in this transformational, intentional transformational process to become like Him. Amen. And so, where our mind is the seat of our beliefs and our beliefs dictate our conviction of our heart and the conviction of our heart informs our actions, our deeds, our living, it moves us into this need, as Paul told us, to really take time to think about how do I engage in formational practices for my life. Now today I'm not going to talk about the specific formational practices. There are lots of them, and we're going to spend the year working through a number of them. We won't be able to get through them all, but we're going to talk about things like prayer, a beautiful formational practice. Sabbath, a beautiful formational practice. Study of the scripture, a beautiful formational practice, right? We're going to talk about a number of these kind of ideas throughout the year. But today I want to sort of set the table about how to position ourselves, if you will, how to prepare ourselves, if you will, for that formational practice to actually have an impact on us. Amen. We can get to the end of 2020 and be like, hindsight's 2020. Thank you. I was just let it sit for a second. That was right off the cuff. Get to the end of 2020 and look back and be like, you know, I started off that year, that decade, thinking I was really going to do some things. And, I, and nothing seems to be different, really. There's something radically different in me than when I started the year. And we don't want to do that, do we? So we've got to position ourselves appropriately for, for these things to actually have an impact on our lives. And so being transformed, this idea of transformation, is the essence of the life of a disciple. We really talk about discipleship. Jesus said, if anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What he's saying there is, listen, you're going to have to die to your, your nature, your desires, your want. You're going to have to take up your cross and come into the kingdom of God. The way into the kingdom of God is through the cross of Christ, Right? That means I'm going to have to transform. I'm going to have to move from one place to another, out of darkness into light. There's all kinds of uh, metaphors and images that the scriptures use to talk about this transformation. Discipleship, the way of the kingdom of God, is a way of transformation. And not a one-time transformation. Not I was saved. A lot of people, that's sort of where they live. They live in this fact, well, you know, back in whatever year it was, I was 1972, I was saved. Well, what have you done since 72? What has God done in your life since 72? Right? So it's not about I was saved. It's about I was saved. I am being saved. And one day I'll be saved. So it's about this process of, listen, I was redeemed. I had got redemption when Christ paid the price for me justification. He paid the price. And just as if I had never sinned before, I was justified the day that I was saved. The day I said, Christ, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Justification. But that initiates a whole life of sanctification, a whole life of being saved from myself. I have all of this mess and beliefs and ideas that are contrary to the kingdom of God. And as I am being sanctified, I'm becoming more and more like Christ. So I was saved and I am being saved daily. I need transformational power 
daily, as do you. And one day we will all be saved. Christ will come again in all of his glory. He'll establish a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. There will be no more tears, no more dying, no more difficulties. All those things will be wiped away. That will be beautiful. Amen? And we'll be fully saved into the full likeness and glory of God, not lacking anything. That will be beautiful. But while we're here, in the middle, being saved day in and day out, we need to live a life of being transformed. All too often, we've traded in the life of a disciple for the label of Christian. I've talked about this before. I am a C, I am a CH, I am a CHRISEIN, because I have CHRIS in my HART, and I will, you know, there's a Sunday school song we used to sing, right? But the problem is the scripture doesn't use Christian as the moniker, the main moniker, for a follower of Christ. It's used three times. Three times. And usually it's not used by the follower of Christ themselves. It's by somebody else saying, those Christians. It has sort of a negative connotation to it. The number one moniker of Scripture is disciple. 297 times, I believe, the New Testament uses the term disciple to define someone who follows after Christ. And a disciple is someone who is an apprentice, talked about this before, an apprentice to Jesus. If you want to read more about that idea, Dallas Willard has tons of incredible writings about what it means to be an apprentice to Christ, to really be a disciple of Christ. But it has sort of three main ideas, to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. In that order, be with Jesus, number one priority. Be like Jesus, allow him to shape and form my nature into his nature. And then and only then should I try to do what Jesus did. Too often, with the moniker of Christian, we just try to go out and do what Jesus did without doing, living any of the life that Jesus lived, without spending any time with Christ. And so if I'm not formed by Christ, I will go out and misinform the world about who Christ is. Y'all with me? This is, this is really, you know, in the, in, the, in the Ten Commandments where it says, Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Okay, this, that has nothing to do with using the word GD. I don't, I don't, you know, say that you should necessarily do that, but it has nothing to do with that. Taking the Lord's name in vain has nothing to do with curse words. Okay, they wouldn't even have thought about that back then. It was not a thing then. Taking the Lord's name in vain is when you would ascribe activities to God. You would misinform people about who God is and what his nature is by how you live. Like, no, I am a, I am a follower of Christ and he says we can do these things. And if those things are contrary to Christ, you're taking his name in vain. You're misinforming the world about who Christ really is. Does that make sense? So it's really important that we be formed by Christ first before we try to inform people about who Christ is. Because inevitably what will happen is we will misrepresent him. We will misinform people about his nature, his character. This is how we have, you know, if you read in history, the Holy Wars. You have constantly all these people who took on this, the imagery of Christianity and they used it to justify their wars. They used it to imprison people. They used it to enslave people. They used it for all kinds of atrocities that were contrary to the kingdom of God. What are they doing? They're misinforming people about the kingdom of God because they themselves have not been formed by the kingdom of God. We want to be people who are formed. That's what a disciple is, someone who has been with Jesus. 
And in being with Jesus becomes like Jesus. And in becoming like Jesus begins to do the things that Jesus did. We're doing okay? So, quickly, trying to preach shorter sermons in 2020. (laughs) See how that goes. Quickly, I want to look at Martha and Mary, you probably all know this story, but in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, here's what it says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her... To tell her then to help me. You can hear it in her voice. Like, <sighs> the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And when I was reading this story of Jesus coming into the town and his sister, these two sisters who became uh, great supporters of Jesus, the sisters of Lazarus, their brother, you know, the story who died and Jesus came and raised him from the dead, but their, their relationship with Jesus. I see some things about how we should position ourselves in order for there to be formation in our lives. And the first thing I see is that there's, there's presence here. There's an invitation as they went on the way, Jesus entered the village. A woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. There was an invitation for the presence of God into her house. And I don't think we can start anywhere else except for here, right? If we want to be formed by Christ, then we need to invite Christ to come in and form us. Now, just so we're clear, God, his spirit, is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere all the time, okay? There is a mutual grace that all of the earth experiences, and that is the omnipresence of God. If God was to remove his presence, his omnipresence from the earth, literally it's being held together by his presence. Things would just go into chaos. That's what the scriptures tell us. So there's a difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence, and this is what we're talking about here, the manifest presence of God. Not as omnipresence, but really inviting God to come and personally invite him into all of the areas of your life, your heart, your beliefs, your mind, whatever. Just, God, you have full reign. I want to invite your presence. It's an invitation for you to come and search. You know, the psalmist said, search me and know me. See if there be any wickedness in me, right? That sort of invitation of the presence of God. This is the beginning of formation. If we don't invite his presence in, I'm not sure what we're being formed by. And so they invite Jesus in. Being with Jesus is the first part of being formed into the likeness of Jesus. Our formational process is stalled in the absence of his presence. Our formational process is stalled in the absence of his manifest presence. First and foremost, we need the presence of God. I think about when God said to Moses, you know, Moses was camped out on the base of Mount Sinai with all the children of Israel. And 
And God has been promising them the promised land, right? And finally, Moses goes out to the tent of meeting where he would meet with God. And God's like, okay, here's the deal. Uh, You're going to the promised land. I'm not going with you. Because you're a bunch of stiff-necked, rebellious people. And if I go with you, I'm just going to, I'll probably just end up, my judgment's going to take you all out. This is an extreme Ryan paraphrase. And Moses says, time out. We won't go unless you go with us. We do not want to go unless your presence goes with us. And then he says something very profound. He says, how will they know that we are your people unless your presence goes with us? How will they know that we belong to you unless your presence goes with us? The very beginning of formational processes of becoming more like Christ is his presence. Without his presence, how will they know that it's God who is working in us. Dallas Willard said, disciples of Jesus are those who are with him, learning to be like him. That's why the very first thing of being a disciple, of the three things of being a disciple, the very first one is to be with. Any apprenticeship You can go search them all out. Any apprenticeship that's available to you on the earth, the first thing is you got to go be with. Whoever it is that is teaching you the trade, the craft, the skill, whatever, you got to go be with them. If you aren't with them, you're not really an apprentice of them. Amen. This is the calling of a disciple. So Mary, actually Martha, welcomes Jesus into the house. Please come into our home. Then what I see secondly here is this idea of posture and the attention that Mary gives. She had a as called Mary, and Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So being with Jesus is the first part of being formed. Being like Jesus is the second element to discipleship. How do we become like Jesus? By sitting and listening. Right? If if I have to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, my mind is renewed by sitting and listening. Sitting and listening is the posture of an apprentice. One who wants to train and be like. It's interesting, you know, I coach uh, wrestling and golf and uh, we were in the room the other day, the wrestling room, and um, I, I learned how to wrestle so that I could coach wrestling. I'm not a great wrestler. I've never wrestled a match a day in my life. Um, so I've never been in a competitive wrestling environment. But I learned how to wrestle so that I could help coach wrestling. And we'll get these young guys in who have never wrestled a day in their life. And it's funny how often they want to talk about how to wrestle or how to do something. You're trying to teach them a specific skill or, or a takedown or whatever. And they want to tell you how... They did the right thing. You're like, no, you, no, you missed a bunch of steps in that. And they don't want to sit and listen. An apprentice, we've got all Americans in the room, not me, but we got all American wrestlers in the room trying to tell them how to do it. And they want to talk. They've never done it once. What are they doing? They're not taking the position of an apprentice. They need to sit and listen. And the more they sit and listen, the more likely it is that they will become an actual wrestler and have success wrestling. 
the more we sit and listen at the feet of Jesus, the more we'll become like Jesus. It'll shift the way we view this world, the way we think. Formation calls for unhurried attention to the presence and teachings of Jesus. Unhurried attention. This, this has got me. Very few things do I do in my life unhurried. Okay? For being honest. Like, it doesn't matter what it is, nine times out of ten, I am all gas, no brakes. It's just kind of the way I live my life. Speed limits are for chumps. I mean, seriously. How quickly can we get from A to B? All gas, no brakes. Okay? And so it's, it's a struggle for me oftentimes to, to find an unhurried rhythm. And quite honestly, our culture around us is in a frenzy. One thing to the next thing to the next thing. Our t- attention spans are being reduced dramatically just by the phone that we have in our pockets. There's studies out that say just by the, the phone alone that we keep, uh, that our attention span and our ability to retain information, our, our ability to do critical thinking is being greatly reduced. I mean, tell me 10, 10 phone numbers. Do you have 10 phone numbers memorized? We used to be, we had to memorize everybody's phone number. Go to that dumb big book. Right? Why? Because we're not, I'm not against technology, but, but here's what we have to fight against, that we allow these things, the cultural norms, to keep us in a frenzied pace where we never slow down. And if we want to be formed into the way of Jesus, we're going to have to slow down. And I'm trying to even set you up a little bit for the year here on Sunday mornings because we also tend to be at a frenzied pace. We've got to go from here to the greeting to this to that. To that. You know, I've had three cups of coffee, maybe four. You know what I mean? And so we're moving. We've got, we got to get out of worship. It gets really uncomfortable with the music's playing or maybe the music even stops in sort of a silent moment and we're all standing like, did the sound system break? What's going on? Why isn't something happening? We want to keep moving from thing to thing to thing to thing. But if we want to be formed by Jesus, we need to posture ourselves in a way that we give him our unhurried attention. You know, it's like how hard is it to set aside an hour and a half a week for a Sunday service just to be in the presence of God with other people. You can be in the presence of God anywhere, believe me, for sure. But too often what happens is the culture presses in on us and so we, we miss opportunities to be together just because we're just fulfilling and falling in line with the cultural norms. Got so much stuff going on, I'm just so busy. Sometimes we just gotta pause that. Breaks. Breaks. Praise the Lord. Unhurried attention to the presence and teachings of Jesus. Dallas Willard said this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. 
Now, this quote is actually from a conversation that he had with John Ortberg. And John called him, he was a mentor to John, and John called him and said, how do I, I just, how do I, how do I become more like Christ? He's a pastor of a mega church, it's just constantly things are happening. How do, I just want to be formed more like Christ. Dallas, how do I do this? And Dallas, in this conversation, says to him this very thing. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I just started reading this book. I thought I'd share it with you guys. Uh, I have two books. Uh, one's called To Hell with the Hustle by, just, uh, by Jefferson Bethke. I haven't started reading that one yet, but this one's by John Mark Comer, who's a local pastor in downtown Portland, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He actually talks about this quote in this book. I would recommend this book to you as a way to help sort of think about how do I unhurry myself? For instance, something that I'm doing and I've had success for a few days now, so we'll see what happens. Is what, what I'm trying to do is first thing in the morning, when I first wake up, when I first get out of bed, I go out to the kitchen, I drink a couple of glasses of cold water, then a cup of coffee, or then I pour myself a cup of coffee, and then I go into my office and I spend as much time as necessary. No agenda to read through the scriptures I do this Lectio 365 app devotion. It's like a, it's a, a way to sort of meditate on the word of God. So I, however long that is, I'm just, I'm just going to sit here and let that app bring me into a focus on the word of God. And, 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 and so I spend uh, this time, I just, I'm just trying to unhurry myself in the morning. I don't want to wake up in the morning running to get in the shower and late for my first meeting. I want to wake up in the morning and open up my phone and just start looking at emails or looking at social media. I'm trying to recenter myself again. I've done this before, but how many know it's real easy to be unintentionally formed? So I said, God, I need to intention, I need to set that time aside again, first thing in the morning. And if I have an appointment, I just get up earlier. So that I have the unhurried time to start my morning in the presence of God. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Posture yourself in a way that you can focus on the teachings of Christ. Here's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. What a posture. And then lastly, the worship team can come. Lastly, I love that Jesus tells Martha. Martha is so, she's so upset at Mary. You, anybody have siblings? You know how this goes. Like, I swear, I did, I have two brothers, older and younger. I always did my chores properly. They never did theirs right. And I was always angry about it. That's what this is. Martha's like, I invited you in here to host you and your people, and my sister isn't even helping. Right? She's upset that Mary has taken this unhurried approach to sit at the feet of Jesus. There's also cultural elements that are happening here. Women were not supposed to take the position of a disciple like Mary has done. They're not supposed to sit at the feet of a rabbi. That wasn't a cultural norm. So she's a little bit miffed about that as well. She's like, well, Jesus, come on. You know this isn't right. She shouldn't be sitting there. She should be helping me get ready for everybody else. And Jesus tells her, Martha, Martha, 
you are anxious and troubled about many things. Anybody feel that way sometimes? Anxious, troubled about many things. He said, one thing is necessary. One thing is essential. Mary has chosen the good portion. You say, Mary has chosen the one thing that is essential. The portion that Mary has chosen, that she's received, is the transformation that's happening as she's postured herself at the feet of Jesus. That something radical is happening on the inside of Mary as she's unhurried in the presence of God. He's like, that's, what, that's what's essential. Mary has chosen the most essential thing to sit at the feet of Jesus in an unhurried posture and to be changed and transformed. Jesus says, this is the thing that cannot be taken from you. That if you will find yourself in a posture of being formed by Jesus, the transformational process that happens inside of you becomes your portion and nobody can take away what it is that God is doing in you. Too often we want the portion without the presence of the posture. This is why we will go to God. We haven't seen him since last decade. And we'll go to our prayer closet with what? A list of everything we need. Our Amazon cart. <laughs> Checklist of things we need. What do we tell him? I want my portion. I'm not interested in your presence or a posture of learning and being at your feet. I just need my portion. Give me what I think I need in my life. And the challenge is to not concern ourselves with the portion. Because when we invite the presence and we posture ourselves to be unhurried in that presence, the portion comes. The transformation happens. In order to do what Jesus did, which is the third part of being a disciple, we need transformational practices. Seeing the fullness of Jesus in our lives is the portion that can never be taken away. When I posture myself and all of a sudden, Jesus' life begins to become my life. The life of the kingdom begins to break forth in my thinking in my interactions with people. I'm literally being transformed. I can see it. I can feel it. It becomes the portion that nobody can take from me. I know I've quoted him a lot today, but Dallas Willard, I'm telling you, has incredible writings about these ideas. But Dallas Willard said, the fruit of the Spirit gives a sure sign of transformed character. But the fruit of the Spirit isn't available to anyone who doesn't abide in the vine. John 15. It's only when you abide in the vine that you will bear much fruit. If you don't abide in the vine, if you don't, if you don't linger in the presence of God, if you don't remain attached in the presence of God, you won't bear spirit fruit or the fruit of the spirit. So he says, the, spirit, the fruit of the spirit gives a sure sign of transformed character. When our deepest attitudes and dispositions are those of Jesus, it is because we have learned to let the spirit foster his life in us. This is 2020 for us, church. How do we learn to let the Spirit foster the life of Christ 
in us. Amen. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.